This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens. But trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From Alegrias, Mexico's most ancient candy, to elegant, sweet, and creamy vice regal flavors and the candy chiles that burn your mouth. Let's talk about the evolution of Mexican candy and Halloween. My name is Eva Longoria. And I am Maite Gomez Rejon. And welcome to Hungry, Hungry for History. A podcast that explores our past and present through food. On every episode, we'll talk about the history of some of our favorite dishes, ingredients, and beverages. So make yourself at home. Y buen provecho. Wait, what is vice regal confection? What what is I've never heard that word in my life. Vice regal. That Basically, sounds Spanish. It is. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. A meaning from Spain, not Spanish as in the language. Spanish is in from Spain. Spanish as in Spain. <laughs> as Absolutely. in the colonized vocabulary. <laughs> it is a hundred percent the colonized vocabulary. So candies in Mexico start in the colonial period, which is also referred to this vice regal period. So they right? didn't so, exist before that? Well, there were sweets, right? There was honey and there was, you know, agave, agave. right? But this whole idea of like a candy. Is something that's very European, really, like mm. this. But but this concept of making 
candies dates to the colonial period, then it specifically can be attributed to nuns in convents, right? So we have really? all of these ingredients coming in um, post-conquest, sugar being one of them. Now, sugar is a big episode. We're going to talk about sugar in a, in a separate episode. That's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about festive Halloween and then get into the serious, you know, business of sugar. But sugar was coming into the country and also all sorts of nuts and dairy and, and fruits like tamarind and apricots and just lots of different flavors. So really Mexican cuisine it was invented in colonial convents, but candy, sweets, can also be attributed to nuns in colonial convents. Well, it's definitely colonization because candy in itself was invented by the Egyptians. Egyptians, Arabs, and Chinese. They were the first to mix nuts and honey. Yeah, I didn't know about the Egyptians. Yeah. Definitely the Middle East. The Egyptians sure. were, and the word candy derives from an Arabic word, kandi. Mm-hmm meaning made of sugar. Yeah. Q-A-N-D-I, candy. The Middle East, they were the masters of- Candy making. Candy making. and It's interesting because I've been to the Middle East several times and it's like dates. I don't see a lot of candy over there. Like Mexico, when you go to Mexico, you can't walk in the street without seeing the stand of Mexican candy. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But this whole concept of- Mixing sweet and savory and making fruit that conserves and things that, you know, of dates and dairy. And that was brought over. It's definitely a Middle Eastern thing. Mm. And all of the Islamic countries and then the Moors from North Africa brought that concept over to Spain. And then that came over to Mexico. Right. So that's when we start seeing in these colonial convents all of these sort of nutty, creamy, like marzapans and all sorts of different flavors um, that were cajetas, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of milk-based sweets with with nuts or candied fruit. And that's definitely a Moorish influence that we developed here. We're talking about about chocolate as a candy. This is a little bit separate, but like chocolate Mm -hmm. and the cacao bean was already in Mesoamerica for a while. The milk wasn't integrated until the Spaniards brought the cow. And so that milk chocolate and the sugar yeah. was added with the Spaniard, with Later. the colonization. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though chocolate was around, it wasn't the sweet, it was bitter. So we're, I mean, more than talking about chocolate, we're talking about these these, candies. these candies. You brought some today. Yeah. Did I you? brought I, some candies. Those are I grew up with this one. Pulparindo. Yeah, but those this. are different. Those are much later. I yeah, yeah. This is like these. where we grew up. This is where we grew up. Did you grow up with these candies? These I did. Chile candies. You know what I grew up with was this that. This is what I'm talking about. What is that? This is called. This is a milk candy and pecan roll. This is from Monterrey. Mmm, pulparindo. So it's tamarindo with chile and sugar and salt. And and salt. Yeah, definitely salt. That's <laughs> that. Those are modern candies. Those are mm. the candies that we grew up with. This, oh like what I have here, I have this little roll. It's a milk mm. candy with pecan. This is what I'm talking about. This, these, these are the vice regal flavors. Where did you get this? You know, I have all sorts of weird stuff in my pantry. <laughs> How long has this been in your pantry? <laughs> not long, not long at all. Because my mom, not not long. My mom is always sending me stuff. She's always going to places and she sends oh God, me boxes open this. of all sorts of. So that probably has only been in my pantry maybe a couple weeks. Okay, it says. I promise. Dulce fino. It says milk candy with pecan roll. Mm-hmm. All right. What's in That's the center of it? What's in the center it's of it? It's just like cajeta, basically. Mm. 
How is it? It's like like everyone. It's like a pecan of- pie. Let me see. Or a pecan pie. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a pecan pie in a roll. You can't really taste the inside. Mm-mm. I just taste pecans. Mm-hmm. But it's bound together it's by sugar for sure. For sure. But what the, does the, vice regal mean? The viceroy is a representative of the king of Spain. So when this is during the colonial period, so this is a vice regal period. Next Called vice regal confection. Yeah, you can call them vice regal confections. And that was these, you know, conserves, these candies, mm-hmm. and they were making. Oh, really? These, mm. It's so good, right? Oh my god, I can't it's stop delicious. It. Every. Region, right? Every convent had a different specialty, and it's like the nuns from Puebla or the nuns from um, Morelia or Querétaro, they have the different specialties. Mm-hmm. But they made custards and candied fruits and, you know, sweet potato, mazapan, right? Or camotes, cajeta. And then they had these interesting names like suspiros de monja, like nuns. Size or like lagrimas de obispo, these bishop's tears. I remember these lagrimitas, bishop tears. bishop tears, and they were these little. You can still buy them. They're these little sugar pellets mm-hmm. that you bite into them. I remember my mom used to go to Mexico and bring them back when we were kids. You bite into them, and it's like this this water, like sort of popped out, and they tasted like anise. I don't like anise. Yeah, no. I have a love hate relationship with anise. Mm-mm. I love this one. Huevos espirituales, spiritual eggs. <laughs> Hallelujahs. <laughs> um, so each convent had um, their their specialty. So this was the kind of flavors that that were being made, and there are different uh, candy stores in Mexico that really keep these flavors alive. And wherever they sell these chile candies, you also see these other candies, oh. the glorias, and the, oh yeah, the glorias, which is cajete, which is cajeta is- with. With What's nuts. cajeta? What's the word for cajeta? Cajeta Car- caramel. It's made with goat's milk. Really? It's goat's milk and sugar. I never knew that. Yeah, it's go- I've made it before. Oh my gosh. It's it's basically goat's milk and sugar and you just cook it until it becomes but Why is it brown? Because it's just it's a like caramel. It's a caramel. So you car- you just cook it and cook it and cook it until it just becomes this brown. I love cajeta. What's Mouth the thing water. with the two white wafers? Oh, those are the obleas. What's the one that like dissolves in your mouth like a communion wafer? It is a communion wafer. So definitely made by the nuns. Definitely. I have a bunch of, I should have brought, I didn't think to bring, I have a bunch of the communion wafers in my pantry. What? (laughs) How do you have communion wafers? You can't have communion wafers. That's like, they're locked up in the thingy, in the the altar thingy. I bought them at a candy store in Mexico. (laughs) I just have them. Yeah. It's so weird. And sometimes it's like, oh, like a little, wait, I don't know. So I'm just weird. <laughs> that is so funny. So it has so so Mexican candy has a huge religious background. Huge. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, I visit a candy museum in Michoacan, Mexico. That's after the break. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. 
And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Hungry for History. I was recently in Michoacán, Mexico, where I visited a candy museum. And here's a taste of my experience witnessing the colonial candy-making process. I'm at the Candy Museum with Museo del Dulce in Morelia, Michoacán, making a quince paste. And you can hear the quince and sugar simmering in a copper pot. And it smells amazing. Mm. Okay, now I'm about to taste this incredible candy ate de membrillo, which is a quince paste that we just made. And it's sweet and a little bit sour. And it's this beautiful, creamy texture. I'm dying right now. So amazing. Mmm. 
Et c'est un lycée, ça. Oh, what is that one? Did you eat Do that? Do you have these growing I, I, up? I had them. I had them, but what is it? I didn't eat them. Oh, chamoy. Chamoy, right. What's so, chamoy? So chamoy, yeah. So that's super interesting. So all of these ingredients are coming in, right? The sugar is coming in and everything is being sort of brewed in these copper pots and the mm. convents. Um, but it's the, the Manila galleons, right? These, these are these routes, these ships that are coming from Manila in the Philippines, which was also a Spanish colony, to, to Acapulco in Mexico. Mm. And they're coming back and forth for hundreds of years. So they traveled between Acapulco and Manila from 1565 to 1815, right? Mm -hmm. So for over 300 years, these ingredients were coming back and forth. And so Mexico was linked to Asia, which was linked to Europe, basically Backwards, global, yeah. you yeah. know, global, global trade. Mm -hmm. So this is when we start seeing ingredients like apricots and we start seeing tamarinds and we start seeing mango and we start seeing, you know, different culinary traditions and different techniques. So the chamoy, so just you know, in case people that are listening don't know what a chamoy is. I don't is. even know what chamoy is. Cham I've seen it in like ice cream uh, paletas, uh -huh. like uh, mango and chamoy and I love it and I get it, but what is chamoy? What is it? Yeah. yeah. That's a good question. It's red. So basically it's red, it's <laughs> sweet, it's spicy, it's salty, it's made with dried plums or apricots, tamarind. Sometimes it has mango, which is native to India. Mango's native to India? Mango's native to India. What? Yeah. Mango's India. Apricots no are native to China. They've been cultivated as early as 2000 BC. Tamarindo is from Africa. Oh my God. But the word tamarindo comes from the Arabic tamar, meaning date, and the Hindi hind, meaning India. So it's native to Africa, so it's a but date it's been from cultivated India. from India forever. So mm. often the, the name literally means Indian tree, even though it's native to Africa. Okay. So tamarindo. So we have, you know, apricots in China. There's this long history of, of drying apricots and salting apricots, like the tamoy, right? In Japan as well, the umeboshi, it's these sort of salted plums or apricots and sort of a brine. So there's this tradition of salting these fruits. And then tamarindo in India and Thailand, they have, you know, tamarindo, like they make candies with sugar, mm -hmm. but with the tamarindo. Mm -hmm. But this whole idea of the, like the chamoy, like what is this sort of chamoy? Because yeah. it's so popular. Different theories and it's hard to pinpoint who, when, you know, where. Yeah. But it definitely comes from this sort of, you know, Trade route. Trade route. And those trade routes existed even before the Manila Galleons oh. with the Silk Road, like yeah, bringing the these ingredients road. from China to the Middle East and then further west, right. you know, from China, you know, all the way west to, to Europe. Yeah. But some credit these Chinese snacks called Li Hing Mui, and I'm probably mispronouncing this, so I'm sorry. But also in the Philippines, they made these pickled apricots called champoy. Okay. So maybe Here we go. that's where. So, but it's maybe basically, that's where the word comes from. Maybe that's basically where the word comes from. Well, it's become a symbol of Latinos. Totally. I mean, every if you are Mexican, you know what chamoy is, and if you're from Texas, you know what chamoy is. So you grew. I also like this kind of candy. I grew up with that, but I didn't eat it. We weren't allowed. You I only ate the uh, sugar thing. The the piloncillo. Piloncillo. My friends always make fun of me because I put chile on everything sweet. Mango, mm -hmm. sandia, all my fruit, I have to put chile. Tajin. Tajin, which we yeah. have. Why but do Mexicans love pain that gives pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> like, even kids know. eat chamoy. Even, even kids. kids. 
I grew up with this these candies, yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm dying, and it's like, oh, I want you want more, 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 more. I don't know, but it's it's one of those things. It's definitely not a vice regal flavor, but. You have these different ingredients. You're just combining it with the chile. Yeah. It's what people love. Yeah. You know what I'm amazed about is the Japanese influence yeah. in Mexican cuisine. Mm-hmm. Those peanuts, mm. they're like super Mexican. Japanese they're peanuts. Not. They're Japanese peanuts. They're Japanese peanuts, yeah. yeah. They're covered with mochi. Yeah. My and God. the lo- the the label is sort of this faux uh, Japanese. Yes. So there there was this this Japanese immigrant who moved to Mexico in 1950. His name was Teikichi Iwadare, and he was the first person to introduce soy products into the Mexican market. He had a company called Proteina Soya, mm-hmm. and he also started producing these umeboshi snacks that would basically chile and. You know, he was Japanese, so he was making these umeboshi, sort of drying them. It was basically, you know, chile with apricots, right. and sometimes he would use mango and, and salt and sugar, and he created this, and he called it changoi. Mm-hmm. And it became a hit with kids, with teens, everybody. with yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah, with everybody. Now, I feel like, like I said, Mexican candy is not for Halloween. Like American candy is for Halloween. Like there's American, yeah. there's a lot of candy that I only eat on Halloween and I don't eat the rest of the year. But yeah. Mexican candy is year round, but did you eat Mexican candy in Halloween? Or were you like, eh, not really special. I eat this all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't really think of that. We, we didn't really, we weren't allowed to trick or treat. You weren't allowed to trick or treat? No. Wow. Why? Because of. Because uh, my parents were paranoid that we were going to get poisoned. Or razor blades in the apples? Yeah. Halloween celebrated around the world. I don't think they celebrated that much in Mexico. It's celebrated somewhat. Mm-hmm. It's not like trick or treat, but it's Queremos Halloween. And, mm-hmm. and they have both these types of the, the chile candies and glorias and just different candies, but it's definitely. Celebrate it, it, it is, it's being celebrated around the but world it's, it's, more it's now. It's basically the pagan New Year's holiday of the, the Samhain, celebrated by the ancient Irish Celtic tribes. Yeah. In the 10th century, All Souls Day was a day to celebrate, which was on November 3rd, was at, it was like, it's this date has changed. So yeah. So it was like All Hallows Eve, which was a Catholic celebration. That was moved to November 1st? Yeah. In the 8th century? Yeah. So they're like, we're just moving this holiday. We're just moving it, yeah. Like, we're, Christmas is going to be in July. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's all what? arbitrary. You know what? We don't like this, but it kind of looks like this, so let's put these dates together. Okay, so that's what happened. That's what happened, exactly. And then then um, the 19th century was the Irish immigrants that brought this festival to the United States yeah. or the Americas. To the United States. And, and that was October 31st. Yeah. Yeah. And they would give soul cakes? They're these little cakes. These like flat, they're almost like cookies. Okay. These like little flat to the dead. cakes. Yeah. To say, you're giving me this cake and by receiving this cake, I will pray for your people. Mm, okay. So yes. when did um, candy become a part of these Catholic celebrations? Well, people would make these cakes, right? And then during the Second World War, there were these sugar rations. So it was just, it was difficult for people to make these cakes to give out. And then at a certain point, it became about a holiday with kids. So they decided to start this 
whole thing with dressing up and having contests and and trick-or-treating. And then in 1950s, it became commercial, like companies like Hershey's and Brock's and all of these companies started making candies. And it was What about the candy corns? The candy corn. The candy corns dates to the 1880s. Wow. They've been around for a while. And that was um, first created by George Renninger? Yeah. And American. And he just did these small sugar pellets and that kind of morphed into that candy corn? Yeah. Yeah. They basically morphed into that. And, and they, they were only popular, really popular because they were fall colors. Yeah. They look like corn. <laughs> yeah. And they look at fall colors. And, and now we have so many different things. But then it's like, oh, wow, this is such a novelty. And they became really popular. But then they became overshadowed with Tootsie Rolls and all of these other yeah. things. No, it became overshadowed with like the, the Snickers. The um, commercialization that Hershey's and Brock's and Nestle right. capitalize. It's like the engagement rings. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's like, exactly. oh, there's something happening here. They let's, capitalize Let's it. make money on it. Exactly. And then the homeowners found it so much easier to just buy candy than mm-hmm. make stuff at home. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then the individually wrapped thing, when did that come into play? That's also, that's Brock's and Hershey and all of those. So, it was the 1950s. So mm-hmm. it's a really new Yeah, because remember when holiday. you could go to a candy store yeah. and scoop up a bag of bonbons or a bag of yeah. this or that, and the individually wrapped thing. Yeah. I remember individually wrapped candies, like going. I remember that in Laredo there was this place called Mr. Candy, and we used to go and buy candies for Halloween because we— my brothers and I weren't allowed to go trick-or-treating, but we would sit outside and give away candy. So I remember going to Mr. Candy and buying, like, the sweet tarts and, you know, Tootsie Rolls and Snickers, all of those little bite-sized pieces and giving them away. Yeah. We would dress up and we would give candy. Yeah. When I was young, um, we would go to the rich neighborhood because they would give you full candy bars. Oh. Like a proper Snickers. And wow. we were like, we, we would drive all the way to Ocean the rich neighborhood. Ocean Drive <laughs> yes, in Corpus Christi, Texas. <laughs> Ocean Drive. Corpus. And they would give out the big candy bars. And I was like, yeah, that's where we need to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. When we come back, my friend, Dr. Elizabeth Moran, professor of art history at William & Mary, shares her thoughts on the ancient candy, Alegrias. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey, everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. In pre-Hispanic Mexico, amaranth was a sacred grain associated with immortality. In festivals to honor the gods, toasted amaranth grain was mixed with maize, honey, and sometimes blood and shaped into idols before being paraded through the streets, sacrificed into pieces, and distributed among the crowd to be eaten. The conquistadors regarded this practice as a blasphemous parody of the Christian communion and outlawed its cultivation. Today, these honeyed sweets, called suali in Nahual, are known as alegrías the Spanish word for happiness. Here's my friend, Dr. Elizabeth Moran, professor of art history at William & Mary and author of Sacred Consumption, Food and Ritual and Aztec Art and Culture. She will share insights on this revered Mexican candy with indigenous roots. My name is Elizabeth Moran. I am an art historian and I focus on 16th century painted manuscripts and food rituals. (music) 
Alegría is a sweet. It's amaranth mixed with either sugar or honey. Amaranth itself is a little sweet, but if you put honey or they probably used something from the maguey plant, it would have been really yummy and really tasteful. It's actually much, much older than even the Aztecs. We know that indigenous people were using amaranth in many different ways. Everybody always thinks about um, human sacrifices, but in fact, what most people did in Mesoamerica was auto-sacrifice, offering of blood. But the Aztecs also offered a lot of foods, not just as an offering, but actually making objects, sculptural works out of food. And one of those foods was amaranth. And so it appears in really significant agricultural festivals associated with Chico Mecoato, which is one of the Aztec maize deities. Um, it appears also with Huitzilopochtli, who is specifically an Aztec deity. He's their patron god and the god related to war, but also the sun. And it appears also with an old fire god called uh, Xutecutli. It has mythological significance. So, for example, the Aztecs, a lot of their origin accounts talk about them bringing in certain foods. And there's four what they call first foods. Of course, one is maize, but the other one is amaranth. And that is significant. So what that tells us is that the Aztecs obviously weren't the ones that originated these rituals, that these rituals predated the Aztecs. If you look at 16th century manuscripts, both pictorial and kind of more ethno-historical, you realize that they are using amaranth for all kinds of things. So it's an everyday food. They use it to make tortillas, to make tamales, but it's also an elite food. So we know that the Aztec elite ate a particular type of tamale made or prepared with amaranth a certain way. Ironically, the um, Spanish friars tried to ban it in the 16th century, but obviously it didn't work out. <laughs> the friars were very good at recording everything. And so they, they really understood that it was one of those foods that held special importance to them. And so they, they knew that it was associated with very sacred ideas and they didn't want those to kind of continue. It's really interesting because there are other things that they could have focused on, but there must have been something really special about amaranth to get them so motivated to try and ban it. And the fact that it didn't work out is also significant. <laughs> Well, I have to say that when I started my work, this was part of my dissertation, and then I was fortunate enough to publish it. It was not a subject for an art historian. And I think part of that is because people don't take food as a serious thing, but it is. And part of it is because food is so pleasurable. But we forget that food is part of not just our day-to-day -day existence, but it relates to our spirit, it relates to our mind, it relates to our identity. It is something that is just beyond pleasure. It's really significant. What is this? Because uh, Maite brought this candy that looks like quinoa. Yeah, it's <laughs> is amaranth. It a, it's a cousin of quinoa, isn't it? Let me open I this. bet they're related. They yes, must be related. Amaranth. It's an alegría. 
What's an alegría? Alegría is one of my favorite candies. Mm-hmm. And this little thing, right? What's so the basically, story? it's amaranth grains, which are, if you could imagine, Quinoa. would you describe this as like, yeah, like, quino- or like teeny, 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 tiny popcorn? But it's amaranth. But this candy has Where did it come this. from? This is a pre-colonial candy. Do they mm-hmm. do they do this one like um like bars flat or? like a yeah? There was you something I round. ate with that stuff, and it was fantastic. You get yeah, maybe that's what you get it round or flat. Sometimes it has pumpkin seeds. Mm-hmm. Like you get get it with different things. Yeah, it's amazing when you buy the amaranth grains. They're these little brown dots, mm-hmm. and you put them on a dry pan. Okay. And they pop like popcorn. It's mm-hmm. like the cutest thing ever. There's like the miniature popcorn. Okay, so that's why you're saying that popcorn. They pop. You yeah, cook them. You put them you on a pan. Them. You put them on a pan. They pop. And then you put them with honey and you make them. But they have Aztec roots. And they used to, during different festivals, so they would basically take this, add honey, add blood, and then mold it into the an image of, you know, a god. And then they would worship it, break it, and eat it. Um, so this was considered blasphemous, you know, post-conquest. Mm. They saw this and were like, what is this? This is blasphemous. And amaranth was was banned. It was, yeah, they, because they tried I, to destroy it. It's not common to me. Like, I don't see it a lot. But now it's considered sort of a health food. Okay. It's called Valerias. Because when the little grains are popped, they seem like they're, they look like they're dancing. I love the story. It's all about the story for me. It's all about the story. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the history of Mexican candy. Happy Halloween. Hungry for History is an unbelievable entertainment production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura podcast network. For more of your favorite shows, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues 
pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.